This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Are you looking for a stress-free summer? HelloFresh sends you foolproof step-by-step recipes and fresh pre-portioned ingredients to make mealtimes a summer breeze. Get 16 free meals plus three free gifts with code MLM16 at hellofresh.com MLM16. How much money did you pay for Tyler Perry's Gulfstream jet, for example? Well, for example, that's really none of your business, but... Isn't it the business of your donors? Listen... I he paid. told the disciples, he said, when you go in there, loose the donkey and the colt. If anybody says anything to you, tell them the Lord has need of them. What if it was a Mercedes Benz or a, a brand new Ferrari? Just take it for the purpose of the kingdom. The Bible says, he said, if anybody objects, then just overrule by saying the Lord has need. When you hear the words megachurch pastor, there's a good chance the image of Joel Osteen or someone like him pops up into your head. I want to talk to you today about positioned for increase. You probably picture a white man in a stadium full of people telling his audience or congregation that if they give more money to God, aka their church, then they'll prosper in life. Bring those envelopes, please. Now you that already gave, you may have to give again. Now I'm gonna bless this seed that God will multiply it. So stretch your hands, Father. The atmosphere might feel a bit more like a concert, a Christian rock band playing surrounded by other fellow church members. Maybe you're hoping you can remember where you parked as you listen to the generic message about giving and hope from the pulpit. We've talked about those pastors and their questionable prosperity gospel before. But today's megachurch pastor, Kirby John Caldwell, was supposed to be different. As the leader of the 14,000-member Windsor Village United Methodist Church, Cadwell was a unique leader. Or, as Congressman Mickey Leland put it, a different kind of black preacher that you've never seen or you'll never see again. Caldwell wasn't just a man that claimed, through Christ we can do all things to his members, but he was living proof of his message around triumph and success. He'd grown up in a middle-class household in Houston, adjacent to a rougher area of the city. Once he graduated high school, he pursued a degree in economics, and after that, he received his graduate business degree at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Not long afterwards, he was hired at a Wall Street investment bank before heading back to Texas to join a bond firm in Houston. Despite this incredibly bright future laid out for him, Caldwell didn't go down this path for long. He was only in this career for a few years before everything very suddenly and drastically changed. Texas Monthly speculates that one of the things that may have triggered this was when his father's clothing store was robbed by members of his own community. This gave him a quote, jaundiced view of racial politics. And as Caldwell himself put it, let's just say I've always had a balanced look at black power. The reason why he wanted to mentor was to help his community to present himself as someone that had made it. After all, he had found success by most people's standards and he had to do it as a black man keeping his head down, working harder than anyone else, and presenting as a friendly, cheerful professional. This balanced view, according to him, meant that he understood racism exists. He cites that as the very reason he didn't attend the University of Texas, stating it was too big and too racist. Yet, perhaps in part because of the environment he grew up in, Caldwell seemed to hold on to more right-leaning and conservative values surrounding race too. 
Although he isn't entirely sure why he exactly left certain success behind, he explains it as follows. I somehow knew I was supposed to pastor a church. Ultimately, this new path had been calling to him. And with his unique perspective, he had the potential of being a unifier, a bridge, so to speak, a leader. And most importantly, he was someone you could trust. So hello everyone and welcome to Multilevel Mondays. I'm the Illuminati and today we're going to be talking about pastor Kirby John Caldwell. Although many of you may be aware of his fraud, Caldwell is an especially interesting figure in the scammy megachurch world and in my opinion, strays from the norm of what we usually see. Just as Caldwell found sure success in corporate America, he found it in preaching too, though it didn't come quite as easily. It's not as if he had any experience in preaching after all, and he even admitted that, though he belonged to the Methodist faith, he'd never been particularly religious. Once he finished studying at Perkins School of Theology at Southern Methodist University in 1981, Caldwell was assigned to be an assistant pastor at St. Mary's United Methodist Church. One year later, he became the senior pastor at Windsor Village United Methodist Church, but this wasn't exactly making it big within the pastoral realm. I mean, the church only had 25 members at the time, that was it. Caldwell knew he was meant to be a pastor, but he hardly had a congregation. Thankfully, he did have some connections at the time and he got a public access cable. His congregation began to grow to the point where Windsor Village was the fastest growing Methodist church in the entire nation. You wanna have the kind of faith and the kind of passion that when you cry to Jesus, he doesn't keep going. When God stands still, you got it going on. When you call him and he stops, hunt your neighbor say, that's it right there. That's so somebody said, that's the ticket, that's the ticket. I don't need a hookup, I don't need a- And people loved Caldwell. His animated style, his messages, and his background all played an important role in this. He was even compared to other black ministers and activists like Martin Luther King Jr., Jesse Jackson, and Louis Farrakhan. Then faced with adversary, even from the Methodist church itself, Caldwell stood up for what he believed in. For example, when his church needed a new sanctuary to expand, the board of missions dragged their feet. Finally, he said in a meeting, If this was a white church, we would have had it approved six months ago. The board unanimously approved the plan that day. He also joined a variety of corporate boards, pushing Herman Hospital to increase the use of its minority contractors and turning the Texas Commerce Bank into a major lender for minority owned businesses. Any pastor can say that they stand for equality, but Kirby John Caldwell was ready to prove it. He was able to be heard in white corporate America because of his non-confrontational style and education though it's messed up that corporations likely wouldn't have heard him or his concerns regarding affirmative action otherwise. But back to his church, he didn't mince words either, saying in one sermon, quote, "'If you did not vote in the election last Tuesday, "'please don't let me know. "'In the past, many folks were knocked down by water hoses, "'bitten by police dogs, severely beaten, "'and some were killed so that we could have the right to vote. "'Anyone who does not exercise the right to vote "'is an abomination to God "'and a miserable misrepresentation of our foreparents.'" Regardless of if you agree with him or not, it's not hard to see why Caldwell was respected for being both outspoken, yet working with and understanding the politics of business, so to speak. According to the book, Urban Church's Vital Signs, the congregation created an economic input of over $25 million into the local minority economy over a three-year period. He did face some criticism from time to time. According to Texas Monthly, there was grumbling about his white alliances from the black community, but he was largely beloved on both sides, hiccups and all. However, playing both sides also meant telling the congregation one thing while telling the press something else. 
Apparently, the media asked Caldwell numerous times to address an outbreak of black church burnings, wanting his opinion on the topic. But he made himself scarce, seemingly tight-lipped about a topic you'd think that he, of all people, would care about. While other black ministers posed in front of the wreckage, speaking out as dozens of black churches burned, this supposed civil rights activist was strangely quiet. The thing is, Caldwell did care about this, but behind closed church doors. He supposedly preached on impassioned sermons on this topic, not appearing in the public. In 1996, the year that many of these burnings took place, Texas Monthly wrote, quite simply, Caldwell has mastered the game, having discovered the most effective nexus of race and power. He'd mastered both sides all right, but perhaps to a fault. After all, can you really be an advocate for change so long as you compromise and work with those that don't have your best interests at heart? And this is where the cracks start to show in my opinion. Yes, Caldwell may have cared about black-owned businesses, education, and affirmative action, but he was rubbing elbows with those that literally said one of the reasons they liked him was because they could forget he's black. And yes, that's a direct quote. Some have also stated, you can have the right kind of conversation with Caldwell. He won't be in your face or drawing lines. But is that really a good thing? Is it really so great that Caldwell was so polite when asking companies to be inclusive? Is it what was needed to make them listen at the time or does it set a dangerous precedent? It feels a bit strange to me that Caldwell said, racism is alive and well and dressed in three-piece suits, all while those same suits were praising him for being non-confrontational. Personally, I think if you're going to fight racism or as a more general note, any type of injustice, you need to be confrontational to a degree. There are some things in life that aren't worth getting into huge arguments over, like forgetting to do the dishes or leaving a light on accidentally. Racism isn't a small thing though. I recognize that these events took place over two decades ago. So yes, maybe someone could argue that Caldwell simply couldn't focus on microaggressions taking place from these suits. But I would say that the burning of black churches isn't exactly a microaggression. In spite of this, Caldwell's name was thrust into the spotlight just a few short years later in 2001, when he became the spiritual advisor to President George W. Bush. In both 2001 and 2005, he delivered the official benedictions, praying for equality for all. It was the very first swearing in during the 2001 inauguration where Caldwell really sparked controversy for the first time. While a prayer or more general blessing is traditional, Caldwell mentioned Jesus and ended the prayer with quote, in the name that's above all other names, Jesus the Christ, let all who agree say amen. Whether or not you believe in Jesus is entirely up to you, but I think anyone that does believe in the separation of church and state could see why this was a problem. Anyone of a different faith, Muslims, Jewish people, atheists, basically anyone except Christians were excluded from Caldwell's blessing. Law professor Alan Dershowitz went so far as to write, the plain message conveyed by the new administration is that George W. Bush's America is a Christian nation and that non-Christians are welcome into the tent so long as they agree to accept their status as a tolerated minority rather than a fully equal citizen. And I can't know for sure if that was the intention, but it sure comes across as that implication, especially when this isn't just done at other swearing in ceremonies. The Tampa Bay Times says that no rabbi, Roman Catholic priest, or Eastern Orthodox cleric has ever invoked prayer before. Caldwell saw it very differently and said that he was invited by a Christian president to offer a prayer. And again, I've really got an issue with the lack of separation between church and state here, but this isn't particularly new. We've seen religion bleed into politics plenty of times before, even if we claim we don't like it. Despite this controversy, a few years later in 2008, he officiated Bush's daughter's wedding, and more importantly, even became the spiritual advisor to Barack Obama as well. If you're wondering how Caldwell supported both Bush and Obama, two very different politicians, 
He explains that it's because both of them are Christians with a deep, resolute loyalty to their country, to their families, and to God. They have the same goal with two different approaches, the pastor said. And personally, I don't agree with him there, but it's not as if Obama was even calling Caldwell for advice either. Misnomer or not, the title stuck. But as he entered the spotlight for a second time, he was put under a magnifying glass again, and this time for a very different reason. His church, Windsor Village, had a ministry that was intended to help people struggling to overcome homosexuality. The church website itself said the ministry was, quote, a program created to provide Christ-centered instruction for those seeking freedom from homosexuality, lesbianism, prostitution, sex addiction, and other habitual sins. People were rightly infuriated. Obama has been known for LGBTQ advocacy, so why would he refer to someone whose church calls homosexuality a habitual sin as his spiritual advisor? Even Caldwell admitted that he and Obama weren't particularly close, but still, this felt like a slap in the face for many. Soon after, the conversion program was wiped from the website and Caldwell said he didn't even know it existed in the first place and that he'd been surprised and embarrassed by it. We have 120 ministries at the church. You can't be on top of everything, he told Politico. Frankly, even if I had 120 businesses, it would be my job to know if one of them was promoting a conversion program. Plus, when directly asked if he'd still support civil unions or gay marriage, Caldwell said he'd need to check with the church. So he can't form an opinion without seeing what the church thinks too? seeing what might be best for PR? In case he'd forgotten, like, you're kind of the leader here. It's not that hard of a question, especially when you knew you were going to be interviewed about homophobic beliefs. Now, in spite of the fumbles and criticism, Caldwell had, in many ways, really made it as a megachurch pastor. He'd given up business for preaching, became the head of the largest Methodist church, and somehow had a foot in each camp. He cared about equality in his sermons, but seemed to stop his advocacy the moment he wasn't actually inside the church building. But despite his success, Caldwell wanted more. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When Caldwell met a man named Gregory Allen Smith, it seemed like he could build a better financial future for himself. Smith was a self-described financial planner that according to the SEC, had been barred from the broker-dealer business since 2010. He'd used his company, the Greg Smith Financial Group, to misappropriate investor funds, despite his own slogan being that clients could count on them for a sound and secure financial future. But when Caldwell started working with Smith, he either didn't know about the man's shady history or simply didn't let it stop him from building a relationship with him. The two became, literally, partners in crime. From 2013 to 2014, the pair started offering and selling pre-evolutionary Chinese bonds. As the SEC explains, prior to the communist takeover, the former Republic issued billions of dollars worth of government bonds, which have been in default since 1939. So aside from their minimal value as a historical artifact, these bonds are worthless. Yet scammers throughout the years have continued convincing people that they hold value and at times making millions by doing so. Who would have thought that Caldwell with his background in business and connections would be part of a scam that feels so obviously doomed to fail? Perhaps Smith was just that convincing. He presented himself as a professional to investors, falsely claimed that he'd put a quarter of a million dollars of his own money and promised massive returns, like 15 times the original amount in only 30 days. 
Caldwell too swore that the bonds were backed by silver and gold to an investor that put nearly a million dollars in, which is just patently false. If it sounds too good to be true, it often is, but they were pitching these numbers to elderly people, vulnerable people that were easier to trick. Caldwell's role seemed to be a smaller but vital one. He'd tell the investor to wire transfer their payment to LDT, a limited liability company that he and his wife are the only members of, or a bank account his attorney controlled. From there, Caldwell transferred them to his own personal accounts or Smith or another business associate. 29 people fell for this, trusting Smith and Caldwell's reputation. All in all, they made a grand total of about $3.4 million and used about half on mortgage payments and luxury cars. It's pretty gross. Though they didn't do this for long, as the scam only lasted about a year and a complaint was filed in 2018, my opinion is that this easily could have turned into a Ponzi scheme, like a full-blown one. It was clearly in the baby stages, but it could have gone like the whole thing could have totally blown up. And this is truly how they tend to start. Someone begins pitching to investors and if it doesn't work out or if it was a fraud from the start, they'll use more money to pay off those that come banging down their door. Take that with a grain of salt though, as this is only my theory based on the origins of Ponzi schemes that I've seen before. Now, by this point, you might be thinking that it's so infuriating and appalling that Caldwell would betray the members of his church this way and that he'd use his good reputation to knowingly lie and scam elderly victims out of millions. And while you wouldn't be entirely wrong, this scam is a bit unique. Caldwell, even when the fraud was uncovered, continues to insist that the bonds are legitimate and he has proof of it. Even with all the evidence stacked against him, he seems almost genuinely frustrated during interviews as he repeats, the bonds are legitimate with a straight face. And you say that didn't happen? No, it, it, it didn't happen at all. I, um, well, first of all, the, the bonds are legitimate and, I, and we have proof of that right, right here. Per the agreement I have with all the investors, once they request their money in writing, Once they request their money in writing in X number of days, I'm obligated to return the money. Everyone who has asked for a refund has received a refund in full, he told the interviewer. Clearly, someone must have complained regardless, but Caldwell has no explanation for why this might've happened. The buns are real. He paid everybody back and he was sure of it. He even told this directly to his church in one Easter service, actually going so far as what his lawyer on the stage. And this is what makes his theft so unique and also so devastating. He kept insisting that everyone else was wrong, even when he was caught. Chief U.S. District Judge S. Maurice Hicks Jr. stated, "'He is not average in any manner, way, shape, or form. Either he failed to confirm the validity of the bonds, he didn't want to do it, or he turned his back on what was easily available to him to determine that these bonds were worthless.'" Caldwell also claims that he doesn't even know any of the 29 victims and that they certainly weren't members of his church. Typically with these scams, you see the perpetrator going after those that are close to them. Reed Slatkin targeted fellow Scientologists with his fraud, for example. Megachurch pastors we've looked at will push tithing and the prosperity gospel while they lavish in their riches. But does this prove any form of innocence? If Caldwell had actually believed the bonds would make people wealthy, then why wasn't he sharing it with everyone he knew? Would doing that only serve to get him caught faster? Unfortunately, it's hard to definitively prove Caldwell's claims. The SEC documents don't really give much information on who the 29 victims were, other than the fact that most of them were elderly and extensive searching didn't reveal any sort of interviews or witness statements. I'm sure those that were defrauded were affected in a major way, but it's impossible to say for certain without them speaking out. Caldwell does add that he's grateful for support though, which initially struck me as odd. Why would the church support him after this? What are you gonna preach about in light of this? I said, I'm gonna preach about the resurrection. 
is coming on Sunday. I'm so glad he gave the message of resurrection because resurrection is truly what today is all about. God will um, show him the way out of all this mess. And before we try to dig into that statement and obviously how this all unraveled, let's take a quick moment to thank today's sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Dipsy because I thought it was a perfect and hilarious juxtaposition in my mind to do this. So are you feeling a little bit anxious or overwhelmed? Those feelings can make it hard to shift gears and get in the mood. And with Dipsy, you can focus on just what makes you feel good. And that's because Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter what you're into or what turns you on. You can find stories about that intriguing coworker with a British accent or hooking up with your hot yoga instructor, whatever fits the bill for you. And new content is released every single week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. And one of my new favorites from Dipsy has to be their sleep stories, though they have sleep stories, wellness sessions, and they even offer written stories now too. They have fantastic voice actors working over there and their words and the way they read everything sounds like liquid butter. And when it comes to sleep stories, I am knocked out in just a couple minutes, which is exactly what I need. So for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com MLM. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash MLM, dipsystories.com slash MLM. Whether you work for yourself or you're part of a team, it's time to get creative. Make your online presence and your business stand out from the rest with Issue. You see, first impressions are everything. So if you're looking to make an impact with your online content, then you need Issue. It's the easiest way to make your creative ideas come to life and share everything you want to be seen. Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital content from marketing materials to magazines, to catalogs, portfolios, and more. And it's super easy to use. You make it once and you can distribute it everywhere without reformatting. Your content is already optimized for engagement and ready to share. And Issue works seamlessly with tools you already use like Canva, Dropbox, and InDesign. And you may or may not have seen Issue already be in use if you've checked out the candle store, Knox and Vesta, and seen some of the designs of some of the artwork and emails and things that we put out, just saying. So get started with Issue today for free, or you can sign up for an annual premium account for 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use promo code MLM. That's I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast with promo code MLM. Again, that's issue.com slash podcast with promo code MLM. Get your creativity in gear today. As you know, I've been in the news lately. And somebody said, stand tall defending Kirby John Caldwell. I said, stand tall. This is the tallest I will ever be in my life. I'm standing on the shoulders of a giant. Some, somebody said that the bonds are not authentic. I have proof and evidence that they are. Now, from the sounds of things, some church members believed that Caldwell was as much a victim of Smith as anyone else. And they bring up how Caldwell paid restitution of $3.5 million and around a $125,000 fine. Considering how he paid this voluntarily, this is supposedly a sign that he's innocent and never intended on hurting anyone. It's possible that he feels bad for his involvement, but isn't it equally possible that he did this voluntary retribution to make himself look good? 
because if he knows it's too late and he's been caught and he wants to preserve as much of his reputation as possible, this seems like a pretty good way to do it. Again, the truth is it's hard to say. We can only speculate to some degree because his motives are not known. The church also questions why Greg Smith was sentenced via Zoom due to the pandemic, whereas Caldwell had to appear in person. I feel like this answer is pretty obvious as Smith pled guilty and was sentenced sooner in 2020. He received six years, whereas Caldwell was sentenced in 2021, also to six years. According to the New York Times, Caldwell also later pled guilty, potentially because he didn't wanna face up to 20 years if found guilty. And frankly, his story just feels a bit unbelievable. Kirby John Caldwell had four years presented himself to be an educational, intelligent, and upstanding moral authority. He was the spiritual advisor to presidents, plural. So for him to insist in interviews that these fraudulent bonds were real and for prosecutors to unveil that he'd use investor money for personal gain, it's just a pretty dramatic and sudden fall from grace. Pastor Kirby John Caldwell is waking up in prison for the first time to serve out his six-year sentence. Caldwell pleaded guilty five months ago to defrauding investors in a multi-million dollar investment scheme. Now we checked prison records overnight. Though he'd insisted he'd done nothing wrong in the beginning, his guilty plea and following admission took on a very different tone. In his statement, Caldwell didn't try to defend himself, but apologized. Here's what he said. The investors trusted me with their money and I abused that trust. I misled them, I profited at their expense, and for that, I am very sorry. As a result of my actions, good people lost hard-earned money. Retirement funds were used, mortgages and other important bills went unpaid, and things that the victims wanted to do for their families and friends just went undone. He officially began his sentence in June, 2021. Now, by the sounds of things, Caldwell knew that these weren't multimillionaires who could lose a few tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of dollars and you know still get by without a care in the world. These were funds people intended to use to enjoy their retirement, to relax after a lifetime of working, and Caldwell ripped that security from right under them. It's not just insulting and upsetting, but it's hypocritical too. We said it earlier, one of the reasons that Caldwell said he wanted to be a preacher to begin with was to be a leader within the black community. He found it extremely upsetting when people stole from his father's shop. But I would argue that what he did was just as horrific, if not worse. He did so much more than break into a store and take expensive clothing. He broke trust of an entire community and no amount of money can replace that. With all of that being said, that is where I'm ending today's episode of Multi-Level Mondays. I hope you learned something new today. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. And if you're listening in on YouTube, make sure that when you're subscribing, you're hitting that notification bell so that you can be notified every time there's a new upload. I also wanna give a big shout out and thank you to all of my patrons over at patreon.com. You guys are amazing to chat with. I love sharing photos of all our pets and talking about upcoming topics and opinions on future video episodes that no one even knows about yet. And I also really enjoy researching the extra bonus episodes that I create for you as well. So thank you so much for all of your many, many, many suggestions. I'm very excited to really change pace and do some really interesting topics for you. So thank you all again for joining me for today's episode of Multi-Level Mondays, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye. Church members say they plan to stand by their pastor, some even drawing a parallel between the resurrection of Christ to Caldwell. It was a packed Easter Sunday service at Windsor Village United Methodist Church. Jesus would not come down from the cross just to save himself. Where members and visitors were.